0: Hello there, I'm Dr. Bethany Hansen, and I'm here to talk with you today about a common online teaching dilemma. That is the difference between efficiency strategies and personalization in online teaching. We all know that online teaching can be done anytime, anywhere, and for that reason, many people actually do take their computer just about everywhere they go. Perhaps we've got that laptop open while the family is watching TV for the night or hanging out together. Maybe we take it out with us or use our smartphone to access the university or school app. And we probably post in discussion forums, answer questions, and meet students' needs at all hours of the day and night. I've been there myself, having taught online for 10 years. I have experienced that kind of feeling where it's great to have the freedom to take your devices everywhere and really be prompt in your responses. And it certainly cuts down on the workload when you're back in that online classroom. Who wouldn't want that, right? The problem is, when we're working anytime, anywhere, the other people in our life get the message they're no longer important to us because we're working while we're with them. Even if we're sitting next to someone on the couch chatting and we just happen to glance at our smartphone and see a message from a student and answer it, that's just interrupted the relationship at hand. And we certainly don't want our lives to fall apart because we're teaching anytime, anywhere, or all the time, and everywhere. And really, it's about work-life balance and strategies to maintain efficiency so that we can do a great job, meet our students' needs, and really help them along their path of learning without overwhelming ourselves or destroying all of the time outside of the workday. The idea is that online education can kind of permeate everything we do. So I'm a big fan of efficiency strategies. I've also presented several sessions at conferences and university webinars at my institution about this. And in my full-time job, I also manage faculty, and I often coach them on efficiency strategies. One of the tips I offer them is to always have at least one day of the week where you do not check your messages or go into that online classroom. We need the refresh that that gives us, and we need the space away from the classroom. While all of this is happening, this emphasis that is so critical on our efficiency and having really good ways to do things online, at the same time, the most important part of any kind of education is connecting with the learner himself and herself. Connecting with that person that we're teaching. And the whole group and ensuring that those people are having a transformative experience that they're learning that they're growing and that they're feeling connected to us as their mentor and teacher and really getting somewhere with their education that flies in the face of setting limits and using efficiency because efficiency by its very nature is sort of depersonalized and it's all about speed and effectiveness uh, running through things quickly so I advocate efficiency strategies with the relationships in mind. Those relationships we have with our students are critical and we should never sacrifice them in the name of efficiency. When I talk about relationships with students, what I'm referring to is the connection in the classroom, but also the availability we have outside of the class. And where does that availability show up online? It can often show up in the message area of a learning management system, It can show up in your email. It can show up in a question area. It might also be that we're picking up the phone to speak with a student, or we're video chatting, or maybe we have an open office hour where we have the video open, whether it's Adobe Connect, Zoom, or some other platform. So there are a lot of ways we can connect with our students both formally and informally. The critical element is that they feel they can trust us. They're feeling guided by us. And we're taking the time to actually learn what their needs and challenges are and really see them as people and not just names flying through the classroom. Now, if you moved a live class online recently, you probably already have a good relationship with your students unless you have a super large class like a lecture style class. So if you have a small group, even up to 30 people, chances are you know who they are and you may already have that rapport. So you're not starting fresh from scratch, having moved a live class online pretty abruptly. But what if you're just teaching online and have never met those people in person? That takes a little bit more effort. So some of the things that we do to get to know our students in those circumstances are we might have like an icebreaker discussion or an introductory discussion forum during the first week where people can share things about themselves and we can get to know them better. In situations throughout the class, we wanna look back over that forum and remember who they are, where they're living, what their situations are. And certainly if a student comes to us with a special circumstance like an illness or an emergency, we wanna make a note of that so we're not insensitive in the way we follow up about assignments or outreach efforts. Um, So balancing the personal connection we make with people and the efficiency strategies is really kind of the happy medium, the teeter-totter of online teaching. I'm gonna share a few things with you about working with special kinds of students now. And some of this is based on just my intuition about teaching and some is based on my expertise as an online educator as well as my years of managing and observing faculty. So a lot of times in my role, what I might experience is I might have a student complaint about something and it'll come to me. And then through the investigation of that complaint, it'll it'll come to light that maybe the student misunderstood or the faculty member was not clear or something happened in, in between. Um, but a lot of those things can be alleviated when we take a proactive approach to meet people where they're at. So some of the things I'd like to share now come from this book I recently published that I mentioned, which is teaching music appreciation online through Oxford University Press. And no, I'm not trying to sell it to you because Oxford is offering free PDF copies of all the chapters just to help you out. So this is chapter 13. And there's a little infographic in the book at the end of every chapter and the infographic basically has the key takeaways from that chapter. And this chapter I'm referencing is about assisting different kinds of students. And so I'm going to share with you eight different kinds of tips and these are ranging from working with adult learners to working with interruptions and challenging students. So, adult learners are actually a lot different than younger students. When we have a population of, say, 18 to 20-something-year-old students that we would call our traditional students, um, these These people typically come right out of high school and go to college, or they might come just within a few years. They're fairly young, and often they're already in the mindset for learning. So they know what to expect about schooling because they've recently been involved in school, and maybe they even prepared for college and set a goal to get there. Now, of course, that's not everyone, but that's kind of a general understanding. And adult learners, in contrast, are 25 and up, but We find that, like, the average is usually in the mid-30s and older. The university where I teach, we do have a large population of adult learners, so I have a lot of experience with the stories they bring and the ways they learn and also their chief concerns when they have concerns about teaching and learning in the online classroom. So some of the things I would suggest to do to help online learners that are adult students in particular or adult learners are uh, first – I would make a screencast to walk through all of the critical parts of the classroom before the first day. There are a lot of free apps out there and there are even some programs that are being offered for free just for a short time that normally cost a lot of money. One of the screencast apps or programs you might consider is called Screencastify and another is called Jing. Both of these are free and they do help us with walkthroughs. You can also use some kind of a desktop capturing um, program to go through your online classroom and show where where discussions will be held, where announcements might be, where assignments can be found, and the main way to contact you. So all students really want to know how to contact you and what they need to turn in for credit and for a grade. I recommend screen share recording for some kind of classroom walkthrough. The other thing I would suggest throughout all classes you teach, if you do have adult learners in your classroom, is to provide step-by-step instructions for everything. So they understand exactly what the process is going to be. And on that, I would also suggest explaining the purpose of the assignment, what goal it's going to meet from them, and what they're expected to learn. And demonstrate. Adults want to know the value of every activity. They really don't want to do anything that would be considered busy work or work without a clear purpose. It is a waste of time to them and so to, to make it meaningful and to get their buy-in all you need to do is tell them what it's for and what it's all about. It's really that simple. So helping them out by seeing their needs and giving them those step-by-step instructions and screen shares can just go a long ways towards helping adult learners. Another thing would be students with disabilities. Now, of course, not all people who have disabilities are the same. And so you may have some actual accommodation requests that come to you from an office like a disability compliance office, or maybe a student will just tell you they need something broken down into steps, they need an example, they need additional help. But either way, you won't have to guess about who might need this kind of help because either the student will tell you or a disability office will tell you. Um, So one way to really help them is definitely to get to know them and what their needs actually are. Another way to help a student with a disability is to observe the way they participate in the learning activities and the way they show up in your classroom. Do they log in every day? Do they participate in the dialogue? Do they post close to the end of the week, do they seem like they need a little additional time with things? Um, the more observant you are about all of your students, of course, the more you can connect with them and help them. But students with disabilities especially need your help, because you're the first point of contact in noticing what kind of help they might benefit from. And also, they're expecting you to kind of be alert to their needs, if especially if they've communicated those things. So definitely work to be aware and observant. Um, Anyone who does have a clear need for accommodations of some kind, you want to reach out to them regularly and follow up with them. It's not only going to help them academically, but it's going to make a huge difference in their lives as knowing you're a person who cares about their well-being and cares about their learning. We all need that, don't we? And then lastly, if there is a disability plan given to you, no matter what age level or grade, definitely follow that disability plan. It's critical, and in some states, um, depending on the level of education, it can actually be a legal issue. I think in high school, elementary, and middle school in particular, So, um, and definitely in the university setting when someone's communicated that, we, we comply with it. So communication, this is a third area when you're trying to assist students who might need additional help in your classes online and give that personal connection so efficiency strategies can work and not distance you from your students. This third strategy is about communication. You want to connect students to anything out there that's going to help them be part of a community. You want to give them support services, tutoring, and writing labs if they exist. If they don't exist, there are a lot of things you might find on the internet you can refer them to and it's definitely worth your time to communicate those out. So be thinking about different kinds of tools and things that students can benefit from and communicate those things to them. The second thing I would suggest about communication is to give coaching style comments in your announcements, in your messages, in your feedback on assignments and other things. Every time you communicate with students, you want to coach them just a little bit more on how to be a great student, how they're doing in the class, how to uh, prepare for whatever they're going to do with this knowledge. Coaching type of behaviors can include things we consider soft skills, uh, whether it's communication habits in the forum or otherwise. Um, Could be professional skills like time management or how to format assignments for professionalism. But all these kinds of things you might share with students are going to help them in life, in work, and definitely in your class. If you can share them in an encouraging way, it goes a long ways. If it's just critiquing and feedback, it often misses the mark. So, um, tone is very important in the way we communicate to all of our students and especially when they need our help. Um, A fourth thing to think about when assisting students online is missing students. You want to contact everyone individually during the first week of your online time together. If you've just recently moved a class online and you haven't had a chance to check in with everyone, now would be a great time to do that. If your class started out online, hopefully that happened during the first week of class. I know a lot of folks who like to use the first week for an academic assignment and an academic topic in a forum discussion area. If you do that, you still might add something separate that allows people just to socialize, get to know each other and share a little bit of something so that they feel kind of special and actually look forward to being with others in the class. So find a way to connect everyone and definitely build that community feeling. You wanna reach out by email, message or telephone and call students if they disengage in the class. So after about the first three weeks of a class, you should be able to see a pattern emerge of whether a student is checking in regularly and doing work and reading the assignments and responding to you and their classmates, or whether they're not logging in, not engaged, and so forth. And as you see people start to disengage in a class online, that's a critical time to reach out, whether it's a message or a phone call, Um, And at lots of schools there is an advisor somewhere we can also forward that student's details to to ask for some backup, some support. Another thing that we can do to help our online students in a personal way while we're coaching them and helping them, especially if they are new to online learning, is we can help them with their time and task management. Time and task management is kind of like these two areas time management for how are you doing your schoolwork, how are you getting in there, what days of the week are you using, and task management is Basically, how do you break down the things you need to do? Like, you might have to read 100 pages. You might have to break it down into two or three days if you don't sit well and read for hours. Um, If you're gonna do a big assignment, you might have to break that task down and work on a draft, an outline, and so forth. So we can go a long ways working with our online students in managing time and task. I would suggest that you give a work plan and weekly announcements so that students kind of know what to expect. At one institution where I was a part-time faculty member, I used to give a Monday through Friday outline of on Monday, I suggest that you read this and take this quiz. On Tuesday, I suggest that you do this. By Wednesday, I suggest you post in your discussion forum and take the second quiz. And everything's due by Friday, but I would give these suggested days to kind of break it down for them. And I had a lot of students thank me and tell me that they really appreciated that kind of support and suggestions because they weren't necessarily good planners and it was very helpful to see how it could look. Other students didn't need it and probably disregarded it and did it their own way and that's okay too. Um, But giving that kind of help for time and task management is definitely a real benefit. Um, We also have whatever the subject matter, you know, as my music appreciation book here, I wrote about non-musicians and how they might struggle in the class. And In your subject matter, whatever it is you're teaching, there's going to be folks that are familiar with the subject matter or very good at it, and there are always going to be people who are either anxiety-riddled about what they're going to learn or they just are inexperienced in that subject area. So whatever it is, provide ample resources to define, illustrate, explain, and teach basic concepts in that academic discipline. In my case, I would give a lot of music examples, define the music terms, and kind of give some idea of how to use them and apply them. The other thing is you could provide live lecture opportunities. These could either be replacements for the week's forum discussion where you give them the grade for being at the live lecture and don't have the requirement for the discussion, maybe make the discussion optional for those who can't attend the live lecture, or you could do the live lecture and record it so that everyone who can't attend can still get the information. If you do a live lecture, then, of course, you can explain further on the fly, and you can give a lot more detail that people are going to really appreciate later, and they can rewind and rewatch that. Now, some kind of video systems actually create transcripts for your live lecture. I know Kaltura does that if you're using that. Um, I believe YouTube does Some captions you have to check. I'm not sure how great those are. I haven't used that service. Um, And of course, you can always turn on a dictation program on a smartphone while you're doing your live lecture, and it will take some dictation as well. So there are a lot of options for that. I encourage you to explore live lectures. They really don't always work well as mandatory measures, especially when people live in multiple time zones. But they can be a great way to support what you're doing and to give additional help to those who are interested. Um, The seventh is interruptions, and of course, during the COVID-19 pandemic, there are going to be a lot of interruptions. Some of the students I'm teaching are actually first responders, my online students right now, and so I expect just naturally that they might be intermittent with their participation. They might need extra time at the end of the class to finish. There might be interruptions where they're not able to show up the way they would normally. But there are also other things, like there could be some food or financial insecurity. A student might be um, a young person if you're teaching a lower grade type of group. They might just need a lot more help and be dependent on their parent or the others at home for their technology or for the time to get things done. Um, Of course, all adult learners might have jobs or they might have lost jobs recently. There are so many ways that things interrupt a typical online learner's life. So if possible, be flexible with your online learners. It doesn't mean that you never have a late fee. It doesn't mean that you just let students do whatever. You do need some guidelines and some rigor in your class. But the more you can work with special situations, the more they're gonna learn that you're human and they're going to get a lot out of that experience with you. So maintain some flexibility with students who have emergencies. And if needed, refer students out to their advisor, the counselor at the school you're working with, or um, support services like the chaplain or advising or disability services, whatever seems appropriate and fits your situation. And lastly, this should come as no surprise, but in any situation, there are going to be people who misunderstand us or take issue with what we're doing, and I call those challenging students. So a challenging student is someone who presents in the faculty member or teacher's perspective, they present as being either argumentative or difficult or maybe even hostile. And in my role as a faculty director, I've seen a lot of those come and go through the years, um, a handful of students that were challenging here and there. And really, the first thing a challenging student wants is to be heard and understood. Even if the message is coming across in a way that seems inappropriate, if we can focus on what they're trying to say before we address the hostility, then we can get somewhere because we're seeing the student as a human being and they know it. When we only focus on the behavior, it's very hard to turn that around. So it's difficult to get the student to listen to you and it's also difficult to make any changes. So even though it seems contrary to what our instincts might tell us, I would suggest looking for the message first, worrying about the behavior second, unless it's overly threatening. And then there might be other choices that need to have happen. Um, I always recommend reaching out privately to a challenging student, not shaming them in a public discussion in an online forum by calling them out in front of others, but actually sending like a private message or just picking up the phone Um, and also model really professional and authentic responses and behavior. I, I see this kind of urge that online educators sometimes have. We When we feel threatened by someone's hostility or disagreement or even just challenging a grade, it can be really easy for us to pull back and go in our box and get defensive. And then we're no longer modeling what we want the student to be doing to us. So it's critical to not step back into that box and not get closed off, but really be open to still seeing the student as a human and really meeting them on that level so they can be heard. Um, And then consider your response before you send an email because especially if a student's being very challenging, it can be difficult to think clearly. And something we might say that we think is coming across clearly actually could sound quite hostile from us. Um, And then lastly, involve your dean, principal, um, director, Whoever your manager or supervisor is, or if you have a partner teacher that can give you guidance or advice, definitely reach out to that person for support. You have very likely a whole team of colleagues out there that you can reach out to. And if you don't and you want encouragement with what you're doing, feel free to send me a quick email. You can reach me on my website at bethanyhanson.com, and I'm happy to hear from you. Well, thank you for being here today. I hope you'll take, take a look at Chapter 13 of Teaching Music Appreciation Online, even if you're not a music appreciation teacher. I wish you all the best in balancing efficiency and personalization in working with your students to ensure their needs are met and really connecting with them on a personal level. I know it's going gr- to bring greater meaning and depth to what you're doing in the online format and help you really find satisfaction in connecting with those people you're teaching. All the best to you. Have a great week ahead.